0: Let's begin. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the RV. Today, we are on the road heading to Westport, Connecticut, to speak with Sivan Hong. Sivan is a neurodiverse author and illustrator. Her best-selling book series is called "The Super Fun Day Books, which focus on neurodiverse children. So Sivan, welcome to the RV. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, I'm so (laughs) excited. Sivan, it's not common for me to have an author and illustrator on the program. And I love art and I am an illustrator myself. It always makes me happy. So Sivan, how long have you been interested in art?
1: So as a kid, I used to always doodle in class, right? Um, I was constantly drawing on my page, which looked like I wasn't focusing, but um, but so constantly drawing, constantly having something in my hand. And my house is filled with paintings that I have done. Um, and so for me, art is just relaxing. And I never thought of it, As a profession, right, it didn't dawn on me that that was something that I could do. But when I started to write my books, I felt like I wanted a very specific type of illustration for those books and decided that I could do it just as well as anybody else and a bit of a control freak and wanted to make sure that I had all of the control over what was happening in my stories. And so then that's when I started to do the illustrations for them.
0: I saw on Amazon that your book series is very successful. What inspired you to start writing?
1: Um, My oldest son, when he was younger, um, he's neurodiverse and he had to wear headphones in his kindergarten class. And I kept looking for books, picture books, where I could show him that this was normal, that it wasn't something to be embarrassed about. It wasn't something that was different or weird or strange. And I couldn't find books that showed neurodiverse kids and the things that they were facing in a kind of normalized way. And I saw this gap and I said, you know what? I'm going to fill this gap because I want to help other parents and teachers um, be able to show that this is okay." And so my first book shows a kid wearing headphones. And it's okay to wear headphones in class, right? And so he wears headphones with his Halloween costume. And he loves having schedules. Um, My second book, the kid is very nervous and anxious about going to school. And and it talks about all of those feelings that neurodiverse kids have and the special seats that they get to sit in in class. Um, My third book, she wears fidget bracelets and has a whole bin of fidget toys in her classroom and is very concerned about the schedule. And by showing children that this is something that they can encounter every day and that it's something that's normal, it makes them feel okay about themselves, right? They can see that in a character. And it allows parents with neurotypical kids to help talk about what their kids may be seeing in the classroom. It's much easier to read your child a book and to be like, oh, you see in this book, this character's wearing headphones, just like your friend And your class is wearing headphones, right? So it's not just for the neurodiverse kids, but it's also for the neurotypical kids to normalize these differences and to talk about kind of how wonderful they are.
0: Yes, I agree with you. And also you said you are neurodiverse. So can you tell us more about it? Absolutely. So um, I think like many
1: people who get diagnosed later in life, Both of my kids are diagnosed with neurodiversity, um, and I kept looking at them, and I kept saying the things that they have are things that are just like me, Um, and, and it dawned on me that, you know, we know that a lot of this is genetic, that it probably comes from me, And I told my husband, I said, you know, I think I need to get tested for ADHD because I think I have ADHD. And he laughed at me and he's like, of course you have ADHD. Have you looked at the way you unload a dishwasher? You know, like this is not something new. This is something I've known all along. Um, And so for my 48th birthday, um, I went and I got diagnosed and I did a whole neuropsych and was diagnosed with ADHD. And came home and I told my kids and they high-fived me and they were like, welcome to the club, mom. Um, And it's the kind of thing that in our house we're very proud about that lots of brains think very differently. And there are times where it makes things hard for us. And there are times where it's a huge advantage. And being able to talk to my kids to tell them, you know, Yes. Mommy always needed some kind of fidget in her hand in class. And I grew up in the seventies, we didn't have fidget toys. And so I would get a piece of Play-Doh or something was constantly in my hands and to, to tell them that, you know, it's okay that you need that in class. And, and And I've experienced that. And I've walked in your shoes and it's a very bonding experience for me and my kids. And I feel bad. They're like, daddy, you're left out. You're not part of this cool club.
0: Mm -hmm. They were proud of it.
1: They are proud of it because I've always talked to them about it in a way that they should be proud um, the analogy I use with my boys is that they have a race car brain and it can go very, very, very fast and win the race, but they have to learn how to slow down and take the curves because if they don't, they're going to crash. And there's going to be times where we crash because our brain goes too fast, but there are going to be times where we can win the race. And it's a huge advantage. And the first time when my youngest son was diagnosed with ADHD and I talked to him about it, he said, mommy. I'm not going to tell any of my friends that I have ADHD. And I said, that's okay. You know, this is your story to tell. And he's like, I don't want to brag to them about it. And I was like, okay, I clearly am framing this in a way that they can feel really good about themselves. Now, it there are moments where it's hard and it's frustrating and there's challenging challenges associated with it. But I think that if we look at all kinds of differences in our lives, right, whether it's brain differences or skin color or culture or any sort of differences, if we can be proud of our differences, then I think the rest of the world will start looking at us and saying, oh, that's actually a good thing. That's not something that, you know, is a bad thing.
0: Yeah, and I was going to ask you, what do you think is the biggest misconception about neurodiversity?
1: I think people think of it as a one-size thing, right? They think about an autistic person, and they think about the character in the movie Rain Man, and that's what they think about is, neuro, is, is autistic, and they lump all of neurodiversity into that one character, And it's such a spectrum, right? Whether it's autism or ADHD or dyslexia or dyspraxia or all of the different parts of brain differences, they are a huge spectrum and they manifest themselves differently in every single person. So my ADHD looks different than my son's ADHD. And my other son's autism has a lot of similarities with my ADHD. And I'm not necessarily sure where to draw the line, because it isn't a hard line. It really is a spectrum of diversity. None of our eyes are the same. None of our hair is exactly the same. None of our skin is exactly the same. The same is true with neurodiversity. And so my experience is gonna look different than somebody else's. And I can only speak from my experience. I cannot talk for the way they are feeling about their neurodiversity.
0: Yeah, you are totally right. And I see that in your book, you talk about neurodiverse children overcoming challenges. Can you share with us some strategies you've used with your own children?
1: So all of my books are true stories. They are stories that have happened to my kids or to other neurodiverse kids, And they're structured in the format of a social story. And in special education, social stories are used as a mechanism to give kids strategies on how to overcome something difficult. And so that's the way my books are written. So for example, the first book I wrote, which is called Benny J and the Horrible Halloween, is the story about a little kid who's scared of the Halloween parade at school. And this is a true story where, I drove my son in his costume to school in kindergarten, all excited for him because they were going to have a party and a parade and he wouldn't get out of the car. And as a mother, I felt like I had done something terribly wrong. How could my son be so scared of this holiday that's supposed to be one of the best holidays for kids you know, across the world? And I couldn't understand it and he wouldn't go. And so over that year... I talked to him to understand what were the things he was afraid of. And I have this incredible team of teachers and educators and therapists at his school to work with on this. And we realized that there was a list of things that made the Halloween parade scary. The schedule was going to be different, right? And and that change is going to be hard. It could be really loud, he was going to see all these kids in costumes and what if he didn't recognize anybody you know there are all these fears that little kids have and so the story outlines kind of his five big fears and then it talks about the plan we use to overcome those fears so there's five tools to talk about what that's going to be like and how to overcome it. And part of it is going over the schedule in advance. And part of it was wearing headphones with his costume and that that would be okay so that the sensory issues would be all right. Um, He could hold his teacher's hand in the parade. We, We used all of these things and these were the true tools that we used with my son. And the following year he went and he was nervous but he had his tools in place And he went to the Halloween parade and loved it. And now it's one of his favorite holidays. And so every single one of my books is structured with these real concerns that kids have and then very tangible steps that the child can take with the support of parents and educators to overcome those fears. And at the end, their success. And this could be true, not just for Halloween, but any day that may be different at school right? Because the underlying theme for so many of these children is the uncertainty and the change is very difficult to wrap their heads around. Part of the way neurodiverse brains work is that if you create a structure, that structure creates comfort and understanding and expectation. And even the smallest bit of change there can rock their world. And so how do you make, give them the tools so that they can cope with those changes that are inevitable, right? Every day cannot always look the
0: same. Absolutely. And I see that your book is not only for neurodiverse kids, but also for neurotypical.
1: Absolutely. Um, change is hard for all kids, right? We've seen this with, with COVID and how much school anxiety kids are facing right now. Um, and And the changes, you know, do they wear masks, the schedule changes, all sorts of things that are hard for all kids. But I've also created my books so that neurotypical kids can learn about neurodiverse kids through the stories, through the illustrations. You know, there's this common understanding with children's book authors that that books are such great mirrors for kids and windows into somebody else's world. And so by creating these windows for neurotypical kids, they can understand why a kid may need to wear headphones and see that as being okay and normal, or why a kid gets to chew gum in class or sit in a funny chair, you know, or get breaks or, you know, have to play with fidget toys. And it provides a way to let parents and teachers have these conversations with kids in a very easy format, in a format that they understand, which is a story.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm curious to know how how do your children feel about being the inspiration behind all of these stories?
1: Uh, They're pretty excited. Um, They are my hardest critics, So they are the ones that pick the names for all the characters in the book. And I read the stories to them and I make sure that the stories are authentic to their feelings and they get to say, mommy, that's the wrong word or or, I wouldn't do that or use this illustration. Um, And they're proud, right? They're, you know, when you have elementary school kids and you're an author, it's like being a rock star, right? And at some point, They may not feel that way, but right now, I think they think it's pretty cool to have a mom who's an author.
0: They are very critical, but it's good to have the opinion. Of course.
1: Well, because there's very few people that will tell you exactly what's wrong and they, you know, your kids have no problem telling you where you messed up.
0: (laughs) And what is the feedback you're having from the parents?
1: I get really really incredible emails from parents with photos of their kids telling me that their kid just looked at the page and was like that's just like me and they had never had that experience before um and it's pretty emotional uh, and I I save them all because as you know being an author can be a lonely career um and there are moments where where you doubt everything that you're doing. And then I take a look at those pictures and I remind myself that this is why I'm doing what I am doing. And when I go to classrooms and I read to kids, I get so many hugs. It just, it, it, they get it right. Because the stories are true stories. The feelings are true feelings. They instantly connect with the characters. And so to me, that's the most profound reason to be doing what I do
0: I I can understand what you mean so rewarding
1: so rewarding
0: yes and um Sivan are you working on anything now that you would like to share
1: sure so I'm working on my fourth book um and it's about a girl who's nervous about the end of school We always think about the end of school as being such an exciting time for kids, the weather's changing, summer's happening, school's going to be over, but for a lot of kids, that can be a really overwhelming time. They're exhausted after a whole year of doing everything they could to kind of hold it together and do their best, and the end of the school year, they're tired. They're nervous about the summer because the schedule is going to change. Summers don't have the same kind of um, the same level of routine that a school year has. And that can be very anxiety producing. They get nervous about saying goodbye to friends. And what if people aren't going to remember them next year and they have to make a whole new set of friends? They have to say goodbye to their teacher there are huge bits of change that are happening in these kids' lives at the end of the year. And so this is a book to kind of help them talk through those feelings and those concerns.
0: Mm -hmm. And Sifan, I always told to my patients' parents that they should be patient with their kids, but also be patient with themselves. You are a parent to to neurodiverse children. What is your advice to parents when it comes to raising a child who is neurodiverse?
1: I think for me, the thing that helped me the most was to focus on their positives, to focus on their strengths. When my oldest son was diagnosed with autism, And I remember that day and feeling this sense, of he was very young, he was two, feeling this huge sense of loss that somehow this life that I imagined my child was going to have, that there was no way he was going to have this life. And I mourn the loss of this life I thought that he was going to have. The reality is, of course, none of us have kids that have the lives we imagine them to have it too um, and my loss just happened a lot faster than other people's but then I turned around and I got him every bit of of support that I could possibly get him I dove into it and I feel very lucky that I could do that I could have the resources and I live in a place with great special education programs and and then I said you know what with this comes these incredible gifts. There are things about his brain that are absolutely amazing and things about him that are absolutely amazing. And if I focus on those things, not on what he doesn't have, but what he does have, it's much easier as a parent. It's so much better for him because he doesn't feel the loss of that life I thought he was supposed to have. He feels my excitement about the life that he does have and the gifts that he does have. And while I make this sound very kind of easy, it's not. There are days where, where especially as a special need parent of young kids and you get that, that dreaded phone call from the school that that your child has had a hard time or something has happened um, and and you feel lost and you feel alone, but then you have to step back and, and reframe it and say, no, every parent has a hard time with their kids. It's not just because they're neurodiverse. This is parenting. And I just have to keep doing my best for him by reminding him about how incredible he is. And I do that with both my kids, but I think I would have done that no matter what, if they were neurotypical or neurodiverse. And that to me is my, the best advice I have for people because you start looking at all the great things they have instead of focusing on all the things they
0: don't. Yes. How can they find you and also find your books?
1: Um, I have a website. It's savanhong.com. And I'm the only savanhong in the world. So it makes it very easy um, to find me. Um, and my books are available on my website as well as on Amazon and some local bookstores. And all of my books are also available as audiobooks because kids, like adults, learn in very many different ways. And I want to make my stories accessible to everybody. I know personally the only way I consume books is on an audiobook. And so I wanted to give that to my readers as well.
0: Wonderful. And Sivan, I hope you can come back. I I hope I can go to Westport again. We would
1: love to have you here in Westport as many times as you want to come visit us.
0: (laughs) Thank you so very much for your time, for your beautiful way to see things. You know, this makes a lot of difference.